as we head into 2023, we're taking a look back at some of our favorite and most inspiring episodes that we have shared over time. Here are five incredible interviews that we hope will bring you more excitement, passion, confidence, and inspiration as you head into the new year and are met with more opportunities and more challenges. In episode number two, I had the pleasure of interviewing actress and activist Priyanka Chopra Jonas on how to rise above failure and obtain success. So I hope you enjoy these five select episodes of the Mind Valley podcast as we head into 2023. Success is not a destination. You've got to keep being successful. That's when you really are successful. You know, we're known by your last failure usually in my job. So I have to constantly be successful. And I think that became my ethos is a sense of growth, a sense of evolution and not resting on your laurels. Your laurels should be a springboard to take you onto something else. I am Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. So let's get started today. Now, I'm going to read Priyanka's incredible bio for those of you who have never heard of Priyanka Chopra because you maybe have been living under a rock. Priyanka Chopra is a force of nature. Priyanka Chopra Jonas is a multi-award-winning actor and producer. She has had 20 years experience in Bollywood, starring in some of the biggest Bollywood blockbusters out there. More on that in a moment. She is a former Miss World. And get this, it was only recently, in the last five years or so, that Priyanka Chopra became known in the United States because of her starring role in that hit TV series, Quantica. Now, what happened then has been incredible. It was a string of just incredible accomplishments. She was featured on the cover of Time Magazine's Time 100 issue, where she was named one of the top most influential people in the world. She was recognized as one of the most powerful women in the world by Forbes magazine. You'll see her in the hit Netflix show, White Tiger, which hit number one in 64 countries. Priyanka, I just finished watching White Tiger yesterday, and it is one of the best movies I've seen on Netflix recently. And what's great about it is it was your and your mother's production company that helped produce the movie. Well, yes, I am the producer of the movie, and my mom and I founded this company about seven years ago when I was working in India. Yeah, it's something that I'm I'm very proud of. I've just started EPing and doing production in the States in the last two or three years, and it's a very exciting time. And what we're going to be talking about today, in addition to all of your accomplishments, is really your new book, Unfinished. So I was just telling Priyanka that I finished reading the book, and as someone of Indian origin, I, I've never lived in India, Priyanka. I grew up in Malaysia, lived in the US like you. I'm now living in Europe. But reading this book was such a delight for me because of how you describe aspects of Indian culture that I've always struggled to describe to my Western friends. Like what? Well, for example, the wedding traditions, the Sangeet, right? The dance-offs between families at these weddings. I've always thought that there were so many beautiful things about Indian culture that people in the West don't see. And when they show up to an Indian wedding, they understand what the culture is about. 
I love how you unwrapped all of these beautiful layers of Indian culture in a beautiful way. I haven't read a book that opened the world's eyes to India since Paramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi. And that was written a hundred years ago. I know. I have it at my house. <laughs> Let's get started with a couple of questions. Okay. So the first thing is this, you've accomplished a lot, but one of the themes of your book is struggle. And there's this quote that you put in one of your chapters. It's by the great Indian poet Rabindranath Tagore. And he says, not hammer strokes, but dance of the water sings the pebble into perfection. I'd love for you to talk about the biggest challenges you had to go through to get to where you are today. I think it's everyone has their own challenges in their own lives, right? Like Rakesh, but the idea of that quote was that we can't go full throttle. People think that when you are constantly on a trajectory that's upwards, that you're going full throttle, but you can't. There are times when you have to just be consistent and just take one step and just open one door. And slowly you'll turn around and look back that you've walked a mile, but it doesn't have to come from anxiety or pressure or a place of exhausting yourself, but being consistent in the work that you do. That was the message of that quote from me. You have this ability. I want to share another really interesting story from your book that really struck me and gave a glimpse into your personality. This is a picture here of you when you were acting in this indie movie, Mary Com. And it was a movie where the producer had a very small budget to produce the movie. And what happened is that you lost your father. And yet you still showed up because you didn't want this producer to lose the amount of money he had raised because he would miss a few days of shooting. You had lost your father who was so dear to you, yet you showed up for this movie. Talk about that. Talk about that perseverance. I think more than perseverance, that was a sense of duty and discipline. My father was a military man and there is a lot of equity in our home that is put on discipline and duty and a sense of duty and work ethic in whatever you do. And I, understood very early on that, you know, I might be as an actor in a position of power, but it is my job. I'm also a, a job for hire, right? Like I'm an actor, but when I'm hired, I've been hired to come to work for that many hours, 12 hours, 15 hours. And it is my responsibility from the time I clock in to the time I clock out that I give my hundred percent. And it's just that sense of duty that my father always instilled in me. My parents both had, both of them being military people, but it just was a natural way for me to think. Also, I think I was trying to run away from the fact that my dad died and that my work has always been my rock. It's been solid for me, whether I've done big roles, small roles, whether I was winning, whether I was failing, I've always been able to go to work and find something to completely immerse in. And I think going back to work was a combination of both. So when we have these conversations, Priyanka, one of the things that I've always wondered about people is what were the values, the beliefs that they inherited from their parents? Because by understanding what you learned from your parents, we, I have a seven-year-old girl, we get to, to give that same gift to our children. Recently, a few weeks back, we had Elon Musk's mother come on and she spoke about how she raised Elon. And last week we had Matthew McConaughey come on and he spoke about what he learned from his father. You had a really close bond to your dad, Ashok. 
and you wrote about him so dearly in the book. But there was this one moment in the book, in one of the closing chapters, where I shed a tear when you told a story about your dad, and it had to do with a military barracks and a name card. Would you share that story with us here? I actually end my book with that story because it sort of explains how I was raised and why I am the way I am. I give a lot of credit to my parents in my upbringing, and I would implore most parents to treat their children with individuality, you know, give their children a sense of confidence by believing in whatever they're saying. Don't shame them. Don't laugh at them for crazy ideas, you know. Ask their opinions and inculcate thoughts in their minds. And that's what my parents did to me. And it made me into a very confident adult. And I could get over a lot of adversities that came my way much easier because I had a sense of self. And I think that story is a testament to that. Basically, we moved every two years and I was in kindergarten. And kindergarten would be, what, five years old, probably? Five or six, maybe? And because we were in the military barracks, our homes always had a nameplate outside which said, you know, whatever military person was living there. So because my parents were two, it said Major Ashok Chopra, MD, MBBS, like his medical designation. And then it said Captain Madhu Chopra and her medical designation. So I remember looking at that and dad was hammering it up outside of our front door. <laughs> this is a story they've told me. I don't remember it, but. They said that I looked up and I just said that, wait, don't I live in this house? Why isn't my name up there? And my dad, it used to be my dad's favorite story to tell at parties because he was like, she just stood there and looked me straight in the face and was like, don't I live in this house? Like, but what about my individuality? And instead of shaming me or laughing at me, my father said, you're right. You do live in this house and got a new name plate made, which said, Miss Priyanka Mimi Chopra, Upper KG, which means Upper Kindergarten. And that became our nameplate. I always had a name included in, you know, anything that had to do with our family. I love that story. <laughs> that, was, that was probably one of my favorite stories of the book. I wanted to show this picture that you share of you and your dad. And there's a story behind this picture as well. But guys, go read the book to get the story behind this picture. And I love this picture as well. You were speaking about yeah. discipline. This is a picture of Priyanka's parents. What did yeah. you learn from your mom, Priyanka? What was the biggest lesson from your mom? Uh, my mom gave lessons to me, like when, one of the most important ones, which at that time I didn't understand, but I realized the importance of it when I started working in the film industry. When I started working at 17 even, she used to tell me from when I was like eight or nine years old that you will always have financial independence. It doesn't matter whose daughter you are. It doesn't matter who you marry. You will be financially independent. And I was like, I don't know what that means, mom, at like 10. But when I started working, I understood the merit of it. And I understood how much freedom and a sense of self a person has when they, you know, earn their own money. And that was a really big lesson. And there's another one that she used to always tell me is have courage of your conviction. So whatever decisions you make, good or bad, ugly, be able to stand up for them, be able to stand by those decisions. Don't run away from a decision that you have made. And I think those two were really, really who she was and in turn who she wanted me to be. So one of the things about you, and I think it's reflected in the title of the book, Unfinished, and that is you always seem to dream a little bit bigger. Like you hit one 
massive success, Miss World. You then hit a second success, becoming a Bollywood star, but you didn't stop there. You then traveled to the US to attempt to be a singer. I was surprised to read in a book about a song you recorded with Will I Am, who's one of my favorite performers. And that singing career in the US didn't quite take off, but you jumped then into acting and ended up in Quantico and things continued growing from there. Is there something about you where you constantly want to aim for higher and higher heights? What is that drive that propels you forward? Well, because I don't think success, at least in my profession, success is not a destination. You've got to keep being successful. That's when you really are successful. You know, we're known by your last failure, usually in my job. Um, you know, movie fails like, oh, her last movie wasn't so, didn't do really well. So I have to constantly be successful. And I think that became my ethos is a sense of growth, a sense of evolution and not resting on your laurels. It's boring to rest on your laurels. Your laurels should be a springboard to take you onto something else. I'm very ambitious. I've always been ambitious. I don't know what my end game is, but I know I'll keep moving. And that's always been my motivation. I like sense of purpose every morning. And my job has been my biggest sense of purpose. Your laurels should be your springboard. I like that. It'll make a good t-shirt. Now, what is next for Priyanka? So the book is called Unfinished, but what is, and I know this sounds like an odd question, right? But what is finished for Priyanka? You've made the cover of Time Magazine. You are doing such good work with UNICEF. You are a woman with a mission. What would be finished? When could you sit back and go, okay, I'm done? Or will that ever happen? When I die. <laughs> yeah, I do think so. I think that's what will stop me. I don't want to have a glass ceiling for myself. I don't want to have to plan and decide that, all right, this is when I'll be satisfied. I think I'll have to quit if I'm satisfied. Being satisfied is boring. You should only be satisfied by food, not by your job, not by your purpose. <laughs> you should only be satisfied by food. As an Indian, I can relate to that. Well, and other things, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a foodie. So. <laughs> so there's a philosopher friend of mine, his name is Martin Root, and he wrote a book called Heaven on Earth. And he said, one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, if I had a magic wand and I could wave that wand to create heaven on earth, what would that heaven on earth look like? What is that for you? Mm, my family, my family and my friends. To me, heaven on earth is a really long table with all the people that are important to me, sitting, enjoying a really good meal, a glass of wine, speaking over each other, and that moment lasting for hours. That's heaven on earth for me. Good answer. I like that. This is a picture from Priyanka's book. I think this is your Sangeet, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the Sangeet, would you explain to the Western audience what a Sangeet is? I've always had difficulty explaining this, even though I end up attending one every year, having a large Indian family. Well, I'll explain it. It is basically a rehearsal dinner. So Hindu weddings last and this is very, India has many, many different kinds of weddings. So this is like a North Indian specific Hindu wedding. And it lasts a couple of days because there are a lot of pre-rituals that happen before the actual wedding. And it's all about bringing the families together. I feel like a lot of Western weddings are about the bride and the bridegroom. Whereas a lot of Indian weddings, because we invest in the larger extended family network so much, it's all about bringing the families together. And a Sangeet is basically rehearsal dinner added in with 
you know, dancing and singing and talent and music because Indian culture is very, very musically driven. You know, you win the World Cup and you'll see people coming outside with drums. You win, you have a baby and the people will be playing music and dancing. We just are inherently musical. So music is added into our rehearsal dinner, which includes, you know, you have the bride side of the family and the groom side of the family. They pick the best, most talented people in their family and you put on a talent show. Basically, whoever is better, they say will be the more dominant family in the marriage, but it's also a lot of fun. And it's also a way of both families to kind of see what person's role, who's the cousin, who's the aunt, who's the uncle. And it's just a quick sort of deep dive into the family. I think it's the coolest, coolest wedding tradition ever. It's like two families together in a massive dance-off. The funny thing about it is having a large Indian family like you, like every, I guess, an average eight months, I'm attending an Indian wedding somewhere in the world, every eight months. And there's one song that is a brain itch that they play at every Indian wedding. Do you know which song I'm talking about? It's, it's It's called Desi Girl. Now, so Desi Girl, for those of you who don't know, is from a movie Priyanka acted in called Dostana. I've never seen Dostana. I've never seen the music video for Desi Girl until yesterday. But I love that song because it's played at every Indian wedding. My family has danced to that in so many Sangeets. Only yesterday, reading your book, I realized that you were the main performer in that music video. I just warn you, this will stick in your head. Basically, it says, I'll tell you what it says. It says, who's the hottest girl in the world? Desi Girl. And Desi Girl basically means Indian girl. That's what the song is about. It's a Bollywood movie with lots of fun. It's based in Miami. You should watch it. I'm definitely going to be watching it tonight. Watch the movie Dostana. If you want to really get a sense of Bollywood, watch Dostana, D-O-S-T-A-N-A, and check out that song. Now, also, check out White Tiger. It's on Netflix right now. Priyanka is acting in it. She helped produce it. It is an incredible movie. Absolutely incredible. Priyanka, One of the things that I really liked about your book is the amount of time you spent talking about your childhood and growing up. I have a teenage son who's 13. And so when I read about how you remember your teenage years, how you put decisions together, how you made certain decisions, it was interesting because I felt like I was getting into the mind of how a teen should be thinking about the world. I'm curious to know what is your advice for teenagers who want to show up in the world differently from what tradition might dictate and who might want to lead a life that they are proud of and make a difference? Well, the first thing I'll say is the book is me at now the other side of 35, looking at the decisions I made as a teenager. As a teenager, I didn't know that. As a teenager, I didn't know why I was making the decisions I was making. Now, in retrospect, I can be like, okay, this is the reason I probably did what I did. But, you know, I will just say that each one of us has you know, limitations that have been put upon us, right? Like you can do this, this is what you should do. And we all, especially as teenagers or as ambitious teenagers, if you want to like get out and be your own person, the first thing you have to really think about is what is your big dream? Like, what do you want to do? There are two ways of doing it. One is what is your big dream? What is your goal? And work backwards from there. I never have just one plan. I always have plan A, plan B, maybe a plan C, just in case one of them don't work out, right? And always have pros and cons. Like, don't just say, oh, I want this, say, for example, fancy phone. You think about like, 
if I want that fancy phone, this is how much I'm going to have to pay for it. This is how much money I'll need. Do I need to prioritize that right now? What are the pros? What are the cons? So just like that, that could be a metaphor for a job, et cetera. Second thing, you could be thrown into a situation like I was. The only thing to really do when you're thrown into the deep end, and I say this in the book, is if you're going to sink or swim, those are the only two choices. You swim. You do your damnedest to swim. And you just take one step forward. Just keep taking one step. You don't have to change your life instantly. You just have to take one step forward. Have conversations with the people around you. Get them to come on board your idea. Be logical. Be mature about it. It always helped me when I could speak to my parents and give them a reasoning behind my decision and say, this is why I think I should do this. And that was really helpful. I'm curious about your understanding or your beliefs in regards to the human mind. Every time I have a guest on the show who's done something incredible in life, they have a different belief about how their accomplishments come to them. I'm curious, what is your belief about how you are reaching your goals? What is that spiritual idea that you've embraced as your own? I think mine is really movement. Mine is I know that anything I do, I will strive for excellence. Strive doesn't mean it will be excellent, by the way. There's a difference. But when you strive for excellence at every single thing, every single task that's come your way, your life is bound to be excellent. Like this is a very Indian kid example, but I don't know how many of you will understand, but go with me here, okay? So at the end of the school year, you have your final exams, all right? And through the year, you have you know, multiple little tests that happen, your midterms, whatever, different kinds of tests that happen. So the way I see it in life is if you make sure that every time you're tested, you get an A, then when you look back at your report card, it's all A's. And you've been successful at anything without really having a bullseye or a mark because half the time I don't know what that bullseye is. If you ask me a year later what my idea of success will be, I could not tell you. But I know if something is thrown at me right now, I will learn, I will observe, I will be a student of life and I will gather knowledge and strive to be excellent in executing the thing that I'm going to do. I love that. I love that. What you're saying is you don't always know the goal that's put, but you strive. You seem to have an incredible discipline to just give your best at whatever it is that you're doing now. If you're taking on something, do not take it on if you're not going to be able to be 100%. Just don't do it. Because mediocre, mediocrity is so boring. Mediocrity is basic. And I definitely am allergic to basic. Love that. I love that. Now, that said, there was this part in your book where you spoke about love. And you said for a while you were enjoying just being single with yourself, developing that relationship with yourself. Then you discovered that you wanted to meet someone and your best friends told you, well, Priyanka, make a list. And you wrote down five qualities that you wanted in a male. And shortly thereafter, that was when you ended up connecting with Nick. Do you believe in manifesting or destiny? I believe in destiny, but I don't believe that manifestation means you think about something and it'll come to you. I believe in hard work. I believe in pounding the pavement. I believe if you have a dream, you got to do something about it because no one's handing you your dream. But I do believe that, you know, my life is a string of things that I cannot explain. 
circumstances that I was thrown in that I were not of my choosing. I didn't intend to become, you know, go into a beauty pageant. It happened to me. What I did was I put my head down, I looked around me and I learned. And I was a racehorse. I was like, if I'm going to be in a competition, I'm going to be at least in the top five. And what does it require for me to be there? I spent 20 days before the pageant. We had time to meet people, to sort of get groomed, fittings, all the things. While I was doing that, I only observed all the other girls. I observed what people needed. I observed what was required for me to get that job. And I trained myself to be that way. I wasn't that person. And it's the same thing that you do with every room that you enter or every problem that you face with. What's the solution? I'm goal-oriented. If you find a solution, you find your aim, and you're just excellent in it right now, you're bound to come out of it winning. That's really beautiful. That reminds me of a quote I saw you give to Jerry Springer when you were in Miss 2000. Yeah, when you were 18. Jerry Springer. So Jerry Springer was the host of the Miss World competition. This was the year 2000. Priyanka was one of the finalists. And they called you out and they asked you a question. And your question was, it was about pressure. How do you deal with pressure? Do you remember your answer? No, what did I say? Because okay, I took it down because I thought it was really interesting. Given that you were only 18 20 years, years ago, man. What do you expect me to remember? <laughs> I don't but I'm impressed by the answer, given it came from an 18-year-old. What you said is, there's always been pressure and I work better under pressure. If there's no pressure, there would be no expectation. And if there's no expectation, I wouldn't be striving with enthusiasm. And the audience didn't even let you finish that. The audience just erupted into applause. And I'm like, wow, that's a freaking brilliant answer for an 18-year-old. Damn, must have been smart. (laughs) (laughs) Must have been smart or something. I don't know. (laughs) And I love that you can't remember it, but I can remember it. Hilarious. That's a pretty good answer for an 18-year-old, you're right. (laughs) But isn't that true? You know, I feel like you have to have a sense of enthusiasm or the pressure to me has never been about, oh my gosh, this is what is expected of me. But I think expectations make me want to rise up and beyond, especially in my job, which is the performance arts. Everything that I do literally is for everyone's critique. You'll watch a movie of mine and say it in two minutes. I like it. I don't like it. You'll pick up a book and say, I like it. I don't like it. You see anything that I do. That's literally my job. So you kind of have to rise above that. And I'm really glad I knew that at 18. (laughs) So given how incredibly intense your life must be right now, because of the variety of different projects, you recently became a technology investor. You invested in Bumble. You helped bring that app to India. You are working on so many causes, movies, and so on. I'm curious, what does a day in the life of Priyanka Chopra Jonas look like? Like, what are your routines? What is your habits? How do you structure your day? So I divide my day into two, work and home. That's it. It's not very confusing at all. In fact, it's very, very easy. Again, did not know this six years ago. Just figured it out. Okay, so go with me. I divide my day into two days. I'll say, all right, today, the requirement for me to work is from, say, 8 a.m. to like 8 p.m. So 12 hours of my day is working. So within that time, I fit in all the work requirements that are of me. After I shut the door on that, I'm not available. 
then I'm with my family, I'm at home, I'm decompressing, I'm doing the things that are important to me. And that feeds my soul to wake up the next morning and open the door and say, okay, where did I leave this off? Let me pick it up again. I don't bring either side of my lives into each other. And that's something I learned from my parents, compartmentalization, my mom used to call it. And it really worked. That's a beautiful thing. And it's the way it turns out most top performers function. They create that balance. You have to. Otherwise, there's no sanity. This profession is crazy. It has an insane pressure. I mean, actors are treated like, you know, we may have influence, but we're not policymakers. It's like that kind of pressure yes. sometimes. And it is a public profession. And I'm not hypocritical enough to say I don't understand the pressures, but it's, you know, I'm a human eventually. And so the only way to self preserve and to protect yourself is to just say, this is work and differentiate and say, this is family and this is home. Again, not something I knew many years ago. I just kind of fell into it five, six years ago. And again, I, I love that that answer is different from what I hear other successful people say. I've heard other people like Richard Branson say, he mixes it all up. He says, I don't create a separation between work and life. It's all one thing. I call it living. But I love that there's this variety of different models for us to pick and choose from. Of course, now, everyone has to, you know, make it, it has to be custom made for you, what right. your thing is. Here are all of these options. I know so many people, and I was what Richard Branson said. For me, it was just living. I lived like that in my 20s the whole time, you know. It was a complete blur. I worked on Diwali, Christmas, New Year's. I was just like never available. My work dictated my life. And then I reached a point where I found solid ground. And then I had the ability to bifurcate. If I didn't find that solid ground, maybe I would still be running like that. You know, and maybe there will be a few years later where I don't have solid ground under my feet and you'll see me being a hamster again. But change is the most constant thing in life and adaptability is your greatest strength. Adaptability is your greatest strength. I like that. Mm -hmm. What are your self-care routines like? Now I've reached a place where I like to take my weekends. I usually didn't have weekends for many, many years. And when I have those weekends, I love having time with my pups, my family, my friends, having great meals, you know, frivolous conversation, playing games, listening to TikTok, watching movies, I don't know, just doing life things. That's my meditation is to be able to run at this crazy pace and then come back to just being with my family. I like that. That's my meditation. I like the way you phrased that. Now, before I asked you that question, you mentioned like water, which is chapter two of your book. The chapter is called Like Water. I wanted to go back to that. Were you going to touch on something from chapter two? Well, I was going to say adaptability to me is being like water, right? Like water can be as powerful as a waterfall and make crevices in stones and rocks over time, but it can still be as still as tea in a teacup. You know, it could be whatever you want it to be. And being like water means being adaptable to any situation, any given time and making the most of it, just like water does. I like that. And so chapter two of Priyanka's book is called Like Water. And it opens with a quote by Bruce Lee. So much respect, by the way, for quoting Bruce Lee, one of my heroes. I was so happy when I saw that. And again, I won't tell you about the chapter, but I want to encourage you to buy this book because I want to tell you what I got from this book, Priyanka. I think the fastest way we can grow as human beings is to understand the beliefs and habits of people who have done 
things that other people say are impossible. And you have done things which would be seen as impossible. You literally broke down barriers for South Asians in the United States. You became the first Indian woman to be on the covers of uh, major magazines. You became the first person of South Asian descent to have a starring role in a major television series like Quantico. You did things that many people were impossible. And so when I read your book, what I was looking for, and those of you who read Unfinished, I want you to look for the same thing. I asked myself, what does Priyanka Chopra Jonas believe about the world? And then I asked myself, what is Priyanka Chopra Jonas doing that makes her effective? And by looking at your beliefs as you displayed them in the book and looking at your habits, I gain insights on how I can show up in the world in a better way. Now, my insights, of course, are going to be different from other readers, but I wanted to give you guys that lens in which to read this book, because I think no matter how ambitious you think you are, and I'm freaking ambitious, Priyanka Chopra Jonas is going to make <laughs> you feel like there's so much more you need to be doing in the world. Yes. Don't put, you know, the world sets glass ceilings for us anyway. Don't do it to yourself. Don't get bogged down by the pressures of the world and the pressures of living. Dreaming big is so important. And then if you can dream big with someone and then you can take a first step towards that dream, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. And then you take a second one. And when you look back and you say that you've actually built so much, it doesn't come from planning it. It comes from moving. Just keep moving. Moving forward is so important. That is a key. And that was one of the things I observed about you. Grit, perseverance, persistence, just keep moving. In the book, you wrote about how you had a string of movies in India that didn't do well, but you- Back to back. Back to back. You spoke about how your music career in America didn't really take off. You even in your book, because you are so humble, you apologized to the people who tried to make you take off in the music business, but you persisted and you got that hit in Quantico. But see, that's another example. My book is called Unfinished for, this is another reason why it is called Unfinished, is it's okay to leave behind something which becomes a weight in your life. You know, I did my music and I was, I really, really wanted to, and it's still one of my like heartbreaks, I guess. I really wanted it to succeed. I'm, I'm a lover of music. I'm a fan of music, but I was let down by my own creative expectation of myself. Right. And I have a whole album, but I stopped at four singles because I was just like, this is not, it's not what I would have wanted for myself. And it's okay to say, I tried and leave it unfinished and find the next thing. Hmm. Sometimes you come back to it. Sometimes you don't need to. Sometimes we keep trying and we get caught up in trying. And then it's like quicksand and just takes you in. Thank you for that layer of nuance. Because I said persistence, right? But this was a situation where you knew to walk away from something. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about education. You went to college and you were a straight A student. In fact, you shared your straight A's in a beautiful picture in the That book. was in kindergarten, by the way. That wasn't <laughs> my whole life. Please, let's get that clear. I was not a straight A student for a very long time. <laughs> you went to college, but your husband didn't. If I didn't day, go to college. I went to high school. Oh, you went to high school. Okay, but your husband, I think, didn't go to college. And if one day your future child said that they did not want to graduate from college... How would you respond to that? What are your views on education today? I think education is very crucial to people who 
don't have opportunities and who don't have the ability to create opportunities. I think education is a weapon for a big majority of the world, especially girls whose lives are decided for them. But like me, I was raised in a family where education wasn't my only option. I was told, okay, what's your dream? You want to try it? Let's go. Because education wasn't an only option. So I think it's very difficult to say, is education important or not? It really depends on circumstances because education is so goddamn important for so many kids around the world who don't have it who are not even given that as an option, who work as children, you know, who are refugees, who are told that they're pulled out of school because their parents can't afford it. So for a lot of kids around the world, I think education is extremely crucial to be able to have something in your hand that gives you an opportunity to have a professional job, to pull yourself out of your circumstances. But if you come from a family where you have a plan B for yourself and you say, you know what, like say for my example, I'll take your hypothetical example. But if I was ever told by my kid, I don't want to study anymore. I would say, okay, tell me what you want to do. Let's work it out. Give me your plan. Let's work on what your plan would be. And let's see if it would give you feet to stand on. And I would help my kid or whoever this person would be asking me, see through the pros and cons. And that's what my parents did with me. We used to sit down, have a Chopra family conversation. And they say, all right, you don't want to do this. Like, for example, I was going to college when uh, movie offers started coming to me. This is just at 18, 19. It was very common in India for beauty pageant winners to, you know, move into movies. So it naturally started coming in my direction. And I remember one night I sat with my parents and, you know, I was like, what are we going to do? Should I do movies? I have to go back to school. My dad said, I don't ever want you to have a what if in your life. So here's the solution. You're 18 years old. You're curious about these movies. Try it. Take a gap year. If you're terrible, we'll know after they release. And, you know, you go back to school. If you're great at it, we'll keep pursuing it. But you you can't put all your eggs in one basket, you know? And that was such a great lesson for me. It took away the pressure. I tried this thing. I was good at it. I didn't feel like a formal education was the only thing that will give me a career. But if I wanted to go into academics, which I wanted to prior, mm-hmm. I wanted to go into engineering. I wanted to get into tech. I would have needed to do that. And I was down to doing both. Beautiful. There's a theme in your book. And I noticed the same idea in the movie White Tiger. And it's kindness. It's uplifting others. There's a story in your book of your father saving a young soldier's life. Your father was an army medic. And that soldier got a surgeon. A surgeon. That soldier got a bullet. And the soldier was convinced he was going to die. Your father saved his life. And later, that soldier showed up. I think it was at your father's funeral just to pay his respects some 20 years later. And then in the movie White Tiger, I saw this parallel where it almost seemed like you were displaying that level of forceful kindness to the driver who was being abused. I'm curious as to your message about kindness. How do you think we need to show up in the world in terms of kindness and uplifting others? I think it's really simple. It's really two things. Kindness is not a burden. It should be inherently natural to a human being. We inherently are good people. I believe that. I believe human beings inherently are good people. It is our circumstances, our environment, how we're treated, how we grew up that make us into deviants of good people. 
So I believe kindness is, you don't have to change your whole personality or your life around. You just have to be acutely aware of the people around you. You know, what does someone need? Does someone need a smile today? Maybe someone needs to sit down and have a meal. Maybe someone needs a note. Maybe someone needs to go to school. Just thinking about how you can make someone else's life easier is just an amazing characteristic to adapt in general, however much you have, however much you don't. Just trying to be nice to someone or, you know, helping someone's life become a little bit easier than it is. I think that that's the simplest step of kindness. And then that can translate into anything. You know, you could make big donations, you could change people's lives, you could send kids to school, or you could just smile at someone who needs it. Kindness can be your own. It's about a shift in your attitude that it is not something that needs to be done. It's just a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's not a choice. That's a wonderful message. As we wrap up, Priyanka, I want to share with you what I thought was my favorite paragraph from your book. I highlighted this. I'm a writer myself. And so when I see good prose with a meaning, I highlight it. And I love this. Would you mind if I ask you to read this paragraph? Okay. Loss happens. Failure happens. Sorrow happens. I can't always control where I'm headed either. Sometimes sadness is the destination, whether or not it's where I want to go. During my time there, I had to learn to trust that I was visiting for a reason, but that it would not be my permanent place of residence, my forever state of being that like water, I would flow past it and eventually end up where I was meant to be. What does that paragraph mean to you? If you could leave us with a final idea. That life happens. You know, you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans. So why try? I think the thing to understand with sadness, and this again took me a long time to come to this place, but Sadness is a companion. You have to accept that, you know, it'll come some days, it'll go some days. Happiness and sadness, mountains and valleys, good and bad is a part of life. The thing to remember is it's never your permanent state of being. This too shall pass. Everything passes. Time is the best healer. And if we remember that and believe that, it just takes away the pressure and the power from whatever feeling that is, whether it's sadness, anger, loss, it just takes away its power because you know there's going to be a day where it won't be as powerful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's a beautiful book. I want to recommend that all of you guys check it out. And Priyanka, I am super impressed with everything you've been able to accomplish. And I love that your life is still unfinished. I cannot wait to see what you're going to be up to in the coming years. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone for listening and hanging out with us. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? 
your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.